Welcome to the Financial Advisors Workshop, where we will be interviewing some of the most successful financial advisors in America to hear exactly what strategies and tactics they use to grow their practice to 100 million and beyond. So our biggest goal here with this podcast is to help you grow your financial advisor practice. So thanks everybody for tuning in and let's jump into the interview. Hey, welcome back everybody to the Four Star Wealth Advisors Financial Advisors Workshop. And we have a really great guest today, great guy with lots of experience. In fact, you have more experience, Mike, than I do, and that's unusual. Most people are younger than me, uh, and, uh, and anyway, so you've got a lot, lots of experience. But it's Mike Rubino. He's the uh, owner of the Rubino Financial, Financial Network, part of the Centaurus Group, and uh, he's been at it for a long time. Welcome to the Financial Advisors Workshop, Mike. Thanks, Brian. So... Uh, we talked earlier about how you built your business and you run almost a billion dollars and it's really just your practice. It's not, um, that's your firm, but it's your practice with a, a team of administrative and support people. Um, so Mike, could you tell our guests and, and all the folks listening, how do you built your business to where it is right now? You know, it's a long story. I bet 40 years. Sure. Well, I mean, we, uh, we did so, you know, I always say that there's paths that uh, are in your future and you come to a why and you sometimes take the, 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 the right road instead of the left road and right. you get lucky and the right road was the, was the correct path. I, I never planned on being uh, involved in money management. I grew up in Detroit and wanted to be uh, a member of the big three in some way, shape or form. And uh, I got real lucky, and in, in, uh, when I graduated in 1982, the big three wasn't hiring. Oh. And uh, so I had to get a job, and uh, there weren't any jobs in Detroit at the time. And the only job that was available was uh, a, uh, a, a firm called First Investors, a, a small mutual fund company, mm -hmm. uh, way back before mutual fund companies were a big deal, uh, had a ad on the paper for management trainee. and and because of my naivety, I didn't realize it was a sales position. But uh, when I when I went for the interview, they they showed me what a uh, mutual fund was, and it was funny because I graduated with an economics concentration and a management degree. And I didn't even know what a mutual fund was right. uh, back in 1982. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this is a very interesting concept. This is something I think is very useful for people. I think I could be involved with uh, getting people involved in mutual funds and sure. and uh, started with first investors. Now, first investors was a, a company that wanted you to handle just their own products. And right. uh, after yeah. about three or four years, I decided, well, you know, I think it would be better if I was an independent and, and able to go out and look for products that fit my clients the best, at least in my opinion. And that's when I decided to be, uh, to get involved with, uh, with Titan Value Equities, which translated into uh, um, Satoris Financial mm -hmm. after about four or five years. Okay. Uh, and, and the second path that uh, really provided me a, a tremendous amount of help in growing my business was um, uh, used to be called Successful Money Management Seminars. Uh, a guy named Jack Root uh, basically telemarketed me and said, you know, this is a way to find clients uh, that uh, fit your business and uh, taught you how to do seminars. And we started doing seminars at the local community college. And 
and uh, attracted people to our seminars. It was a, 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 a three-night class. Uh, got a free financial plan at the end of it if you filled out the data form. And if you wanted to work with us, fine. If you didn't want to work with us, that was fine too. And uh, uh, really was able to uh, attract a lot of clients uh, that way. Nice. Uh, today, it's really more just referral business. And, and if, mm -hmm. uh, if you know somebody and uh, they refer us, or if you know of someone that's used us and you'd like to talk with us, we'd be glad to talk with you. Nice. Well, and then you built up uh, what was a very large firm at one point, and then, then you downsized it. Let's talk a little bit about how that all developed and how why you did it and why you dismantled it. And sure. Well, it, you know, it, it almost dismantled itself. Um, we, you know, again, at First Investors, what First Investors was really good at is helping young people prospect for business. And uh, their management trainee program was essentially you hire four of your friends. And, uh, and if you hire four of your friends, you get to be an associate manager. You hire eight of your friends and you get to be a, a direct manager and you get to open your own office. Exactly. Um, and so they did train you how to present financial products very uh, well. And, and basically how to do a, a, a little bit of a fact finder. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, 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 I was fortunate and I graduated with a management degree and an economics concentration. And so um, the numbers were, were easier for me and the concepts were easier. I went out and bought a little uh, Hewlett Packard 12C financial calculator so I could uh, calculate my own financial plans for people because that's all there was available at the time. And okay. we actually first, we started doing financial plans for people. Okay. And when I went independent, I said, you know, well, it would help pay the bills if we had some people underneath us that were young and we, sure. could train, we, we were training people at First Investors, so let's train them at uh, Centaurus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we uh, ended up having an office of about, uh, oh, I think it was around 10 reps at the, the highest and, and many of the reps became top, top reps uh, in the corporation. Uh, we had <laughs> six of the top 10 people in our office uh, and most of that was as a result of, of the, the seminar business and, and getting in front of people via seminars and proving to people that you had some knowledge uh, uh, before they invested. And, mm -hmm. and, and so we basically uh, ran that office. Uh, I had a partner at the time um, and we uh, both ran the office uh, on all the administrative personnel because back then there were, <laughs> everything was on paper. Uh, there were, you know, our, our filing system was uh, three by five cards, you know, and you oh. you needed to call somebody in October, you put a three by five card in the October uh, month, and that's how you knew you needed to call them back then. Right. And then, you know, then uh, finally computers came about there in the early uh, mid-1990s. They, they became affordable enough uh, for us to buy one for the office. And uh, we have clients uh, now that we have, uh, we labeled them BC uh, before computers. <laughs> and now this new adventure, isn't it? <laughs> we, we, we unfortunately weren't, uh, didn't think ahead enough to say, okay, let's write down the year that they started with us. But uh, we know they started previous to 1995. So uh, okay. that's, that's when we had our first computer. And that's really what opened the door um, 
to creating a, a better service experience and, and a mm -hmm. better uh, experience for our clients in regards to keeping up with them. Um, I, I really didn't, uh, you know, I, I believed what all the large mutual fund broker dealer industrial complex told everybody back then, which is you have no ability to understand what's going on. You just need to people get people involved with stocks and get them to hang on for the long term and they'll be okay. Uh, and uh, 2000, uh, or I should say 1987 came across, came along the first time and the market yeah. went down 25% in a day. And, you know, me with a little bit of economics background, that can be dangerous sometimes said, you know, there's gotta be some, somebody who knew this was coming or had an inkling that this was likely. And right. so let me, let me start exploring the world and, and finding out if there is a methodology that might help me um, help clients avoid some of the downturn. Right. And that's when I discovered uh, Dorsey Wright, this point and figure charts uh, in the mid nineties, uh, discovered Harry Dent in the mid nineties and, and thought, you know, there's, there's stuff out there that might help me understand where the market is going, where, uh, investments are going and let's 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 become knowledgeable in that area and let's see if we can actually manage money versus just telling people to spread it out and hang in there okay so so you uh, protect clients now on the downside like in periods like we're going through now yeah well we have two different methodologies that we employ depending on the client's tastes uh you know our standard models really have a goal first of not losing a lot. Right. The secondary goal is to make money. And when I say to make money, I mean, if you can earn 3% in a treasury uh, bond without taking any risk, we want to, we want to beat a treasury bond. Right. You know, if you can get 2% in your bank, if you put the money away for five years and lock it up, then, then after fees, we want to beat that. Uh, mm -hmm. we we're first concentrating on risk and, and not taking a lot of it. Second, we're concentrating on making money. Now, uh, we have clients that have a much more aggressive attitude than that. They're not as concerned about losing. And uh, we sort of flip the uh, process around. We've got a couple of uh, programs. One we call the Super Six, and that's where we invest in, uh, in the top six sectors uh, of the economy. And that one really has a goal first of making money and not losing second. Okay. Uh, we have a, a, another portfolio we call the intense investor. We've named it the intense investor because we want people to realize that the, the risks are, are high and high higher in that portfolio than the other portfolios. And that one's really focused on uh, trying to make money uh, any way possible. We still don't want to lose a lot. I never like to give anything back if I could help it, but right. I don't have a crystal ball. So we're going to, we're going to focus more on return and and less on on the risk side in those two portfolios. The vast majority of our clients are in the ones that focus on the risk first. Okay, so the super six essentially. No, the super six is sort of the mid one. That just the standard models from and, and we have six of them from aggressive down to uh, conservative. Uh, an aggressive investor just allows us to put 100% in the stocks if our model says to do it. 
the the most conservative income portfolio says, I don't ever want to see a stock in my, my portfolio. You're just going to have to manage bonds the best that you can. Okay. Uh, and and we just call those our standard models. Um, okay. So do you do you raise uh, cash or do some protection for the super six or just for the intense? Well, we, we'll raise cash in all of the portfolios, but the ones that focus on risk are are going to more than likely go to cash first. Okay. So the standard models go to cash. Uh, in fact, right now our standard model. Uh, is uh, is the majority of it's in cash, um, and and just as uh, recent as about a month ago it was 100% cash. Oh wow! Whether you whether you were aggressive, whether you were conservative, it didn't matter. It was 100% cash. We didn't like stocks. We didn't like bonds, uh, but now we've moved back in in those portfolios again, depending on people's attitude about risk. The super six is a lot slower to move to cash. So it's, a, it's more of a buy and hold and, and it's in a sense, it's going to work better in a choppy market like we had in 2021. Okay. Uh, where, uh, you know, the, depending on, on how the signals come about, the intense investor or the standard models are going to do better in periods like 2020 when we had COVID. Right. Okay. Uh, when the, uh, when COVID hit, um, we were in cash within about a week of the news and the market decline. Um, not because I knew it was going to be bad. I just, the activity in the market suggested that somebody knew things that I didn't know yet. Right. And, and I didn't like it. And, uh, and we were already doing well at that time. We were, you know, we weren't selling low. We were selling high at that point. Right. And we better just uh, we just let her let this pan out and see what's really going on here before we continue to take risk. And when the market was down thirty five percent, our most aggressive investors were down about five. Wow, that's really great. Now, did now, you? Of course, I don't know when the bottom is. We have to use our indicators to, to suggest to get back in. We ended up that year pretty close to the what the market made without the thirty five percent decline, which is really uh, what most people want, I think, number one. And number two, it keeps them in the game. Uh, I think many people get chased out of the game uh, in 2000, 2001, and two. I thought many people got chased out of the game in 2007, 2008, because they just couldn't tolerate a 50% decline in their portfolio. Right. And, and uh, they never get back in at, at the appropriate time, I, I there were clients that, uh, you know, back in 2008, we still did not have discretion. Right. And we had to tell people, we think it's time to move to safety. And, you know, we were very on the phone, intensive with people constantly all the time. And there was a lot of people that, that said, ah, I don't know, you know, you want me to buy bonds? They're only paying 3%, you know, 4%. I don't know if I like that idea. Um, let's just hang in there a while. And then of course, as things decline, well, it'll go back up, it'll go back up. And, um, and then finally they go to cash way later than we had suggested. And then they don't want to go back into the market because the world is ending. And can't you see what they're saying on TV? Everything's, uh, everything's <laughs> coming to an end and, and you want me to buy back in. And I actually have a, uh, um, I was on 
CNBC, I believe it was, if I remember correctly, somewhere around, I'm going to say late February of uh, 2009. And okay. uh, I suggested a portfolio for the person once we got a second test of the bottom at that time. And if someone would have listened to me on TV and just bought that portfolio and held it for a year, they'd have been up the next 40, the next year, 40%. Oh, yeah. Well, the okay. market bottom to March 9th of that year. Yep. Yep. Days after you were on. We couple weeks at the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. my advice was to look for a second retest of the bottom. And if you get it and if things move forward, here's what you buy. Buy these six things. And and they're all mutual funds or, or, or ETFs uh, that we were suggesting at the time. If you buy these six things, spread your portfolio on a bonus, you should do fine. You do very well. Yeah. Very well. yeah. So of the portfolios, do your clients know like which one they're in? Do you kind of go through it with them? Oh, yes. Yeah, we spend a lot of time with clients. Uh, helping them understand the process. You know, we try not to bog people down in the mathematics of it because most people don't want to know the mathematics. They want to know essentially in English how it works. Right. But all of our programs are intensely mathematical in terms of the way that they operate. Mm. Uh, of course, the computer makes the math simple today. I, I could not do the math myself. Uh, mm -hmm. in a timely method. I mean, I could do it for a stock or two a day, but uh, the computer yeah. now analyzes thousands of investments in seconds and, and ranks them for us. Right. right. And so we're able to look at that and say, okay, here's where we're at. Let's take a closer look. Let's uh, look at some other indicators. And, and most of them are, are relative strength indicators uh, that we use. Uh, you know, it's, it's all you know, everything is mathematical. Uh, and I have my indicators that I like and other people have their indicators that they like. And of course, one of the uh, things that you have to be aware of is how the indicators sometimes change in terms of their usefulness and, and, and focus on those changes. So you really have to become a student of the market mm -hmm. uh, because of course my crystal ball has never worked very well. <laughs> exactly. So we, by using, by using that system, then you get to protect yourself against emotions and client emotions and everything else. Well, yeah, I think that many clients can tolerate a 10% decline. You know, some people can tolerate a 20% decline, but most people aren't uh, very tolerant of declines and they get out of the market, then they get back in at the wrong time. This at least gives us a, a better approach to exiting and entering than emotion mm -hmm. uh, and and i always like to tell people i don't think that you know there, there is no strategy that works 100 percent of the time our, mm -hmm. our our standard portfolios work in very volatile markets better than the super six the super six works better in a choppy market mm -hmm. um, if, if i had an, a, a a method that worked in every circumstance i would be uh on my own island uh, with only clients that had a million dollars or more, but uh, but I don't have that program. Yeah, okay. What I have is a system I think that works seventy-five to eighty percent of the times, uh, provides accurate indicators, and I would suggest that if you could be right seventy-five or eighty percent of the time, 
uh, at your local casino, you'd live there. Exactly. Uh, that's great. That's great. Now, you told me that you did some CNBC uh, visits, and you mentioned that earlier. Tell us about that. When did you do all the TV, and how long, and why, and how did that go? Well, now you're testing my memory. I think I started TV around 2006 because I thought I had, uh, being involved with the with the Dent Advisors Network, I thought I had a unique message and that that's the economy was going to peak in 2008 and uh, suffer a dramatic decline. Um, and, and that was all based on demographics. And I'll just give you a quick example of that. Um, you know, when, when a client comes in and they tell you their retirement goals and they say, you know, I'd like to retire in uh, five years and, and, and then I want to move to Florida uh, or I want to downsize my house. Well, wouldn't it be a good idea to know what, what the economy was like in regards to housing? And uh, Harry, uh, one of the simplest equations that uh, I can relate is Harry's uh, philosophy on real estate. Uh, the average person buys their biggest house when they're about 40, I think it was 47 years old. That's when the average person buys the biggest house. That doesn't mean somebody doesn't buy their biggest house when they're 53 and somebody doesn't buy the biggest house when they're 43. That's the average. And if you know when the greatest number of Americans were born, and you add 47 to that, you can know, I think very closely when real estate should peak at least in the near term. And uh, of course the greatest amount of Americans were born in 1961. You add 47 to 61, you get 2008. And, and I was utterly convinced that Harry was onto something and that, uh, that, I mean, it just made so much sense to me from an economic standpoint that if less people were going to be buying their biggest house that then all the big houses would have to suffer in terms of their uh, values. And mm -hmm. I, so if a client came to me in 2005 and said, you know, I've got this big house. I don't have kids anymore. I'd like to downsize uh, and then uh, retire into a smaller place. And when do you want to retire? Well, I want to retire in three years. Well, three years, 2008, maybe you should sell the house now and and down says before you retire so that you can capitalize on all this great value that you've built up in their house. Exactly. And, and then buy the smaller house yet yeah, it'll go down too, but unless you're going to rent yeah, and most people aren't going to rent unless you're going right. to rent, which would be the perfect thing to do. Cause you're going to be able to buy a house much cheaper in 2008 or nine than you, than you are today. Then, then that would be great for your financial plan. And, and, uh, and we just uh, spread the gospel of the, the, the crash that was coming in 2008. And uh, I think a lot of that uh, attributed to my success in getting on TV. And then on staying on TV, I think it was kind of, here I was in the uh, uh, mm -hmm. zero, what, what do they call it, when the, where, the, uh, where the atomic bomb goes off. <laughs> yeah, I was in that rate. I was in Detroit, which seemed to be a popular place to, to, for people to hear about how bad things really could be. <laughs> right. uh, and so, I mean, one of the things that was always seemed to be mentioned was I was from Detroit. And, and uh, if you think things are bad in your area, then here's a guy who knows what bad is. Go to, well. 
No, that's coming out of uh, the depths, but you were there obviously when it was really bad. Yeah. And uh, so things have changed, but uh, yeah. So, so you find a way to protect people and then you were part of the Harry Dent Network and that had a lot to do with demographics. So that's really helped give you a leg up in the industry. Um, you still do all that financial planning work now as well? Well, we, you know, to me, you know, it's funny. I, I, I consider financial plans to be something that people want, but not something that they really need. The unfortunate circumstance involving a financial plan is that uh, it's almost obsolete within a couple of months after you do it. You do it, right. You know, so it, it, really, it really gives us a, a, a goal Here's where we need to go. We're going to need to adjust that goal. But it really tells me more than anything what kind of return that person is going to need right. to accomplish the lifestyle that they'd like to accomplish. Okay. And most middle-class people have to earn a return that requires an investment to some degree or another, whether they like it or not, in stocks. If your financial plan says you need to earn 6% for the rest of your life to be able to maintain your standard of living and get and stay where you want to be, well, mm -hmm. you're not going to do that by putting it in the bank. That's right. And, yeah. and that means you're going to have to take risk. Now, right. there's two ways to take risk. You can spread it out and hang in there. Or you can have a tactical approach that tries to measure where we are in regards to that risk and takes risk at appropriate times. In other words, tries to take more risk when it's a good time to take more risk and tries to take less risk when it's not a good time to take risk. Yes. And, and yeah. that's what we use the financial plan for. Um, okay. So you build that up and then you project out for those who uh, take more risk, you project out more return or opposite. Well, yeah, we will project more return if they're willing to take more risk, but we want to make sure that they understand that uh, the world is not linear. Um, the problem with a financial plan is that it projects the rate of return at a constant rate. In other words, if I plug in 8% as your rate of return, it's going to go 8, 8. If you earn 8, 8, 8, 8, 8 out into the future. Well, that's not the way the market works. Sometimes the market makes 20. Sometimes the market loses 20. Loses. And, and the worst time for someone to lose money is right before or right after they want to retire. Right. That could destroy so, the whole plan. Even though it projects out at if you average eight, you're fine. If it if you lose 40% in the first couple of years that you retire, you're and you don't change your spending habits, you're not going to recover from that. Yes. It's so their retirement, do you try to get them into that protection program essentially where, where they well, can that? We, we, we try to get we try to get them to understand the risk that they're taking. I you know I still believe that we uh, we're, we're a free country and people are entitled to do what they want. Uh, but I think they they should do what they want with a sound education as to the risk that they're taking. Exactly. Oh, great. Great. So what's next from here now? Now that you've got such a great business and uh, you've got a great history with all the TV programs and stuff that you've been on, and now you've got a great client base. 
What do you see happening from here in our business? Will uh, discretionary management continue to be the way, financial planning, or are there other things developing that you think will take the lead? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I pick on the mutual fund broker, large broker dealer industrial complex. Um, I do not think that they are concerned about, as concerned about the individual as they suggest that they are. Uh, they are concerned about continuing to be the large broker dealer mutual fund industrial complex and, and collecting fees. And, and if they can collect fees by doing less, that's certainly more profitable for the corporation. Right. Uh, not most beneficial for the individual. And uh, you couple that with the fact that the vast majority of people in our business have no economics background whatsoever. Um, and, and you have an environment where they're not going to spend the money to give you one. Right. You're going to have to do that yourself. If you want to learn more about investing, understand uh, how things work, you're going to have to self-educate. I, I graduated with a, an economics concentration and, and knew virtually nothing about investing uh, as, as I use it today. Yeah, I understood the lingo. Yes, I understood the words. Yes, I I had the knowledge, and you know, and when you when you use the acronym, I understand what the acronym is. Uh, but I had to self-teach myself because when I went to the broker dealer and said, "I want to learn how, more about managing money," they were like, "Go back to your office and call somebody." Um, <laughs> they basically teach, spread it out, and hang in there because <clears throat> that's the easiest thing to teach someone right. who does not have an economics background. Right. And I know when I started in the business, and I'll bet it's probably still close that the more than half of the people that are financial advisors today uh, don't even have a, excuse me, don't even have a, uh, um, a college degree. Right. Now, I'm not saying you have to have one, but I'm saying it certainly helps uh, from the, where you're at in the starting blocks. And, uh, and so the vast majority of people have been told by these very large companies that this is the way you do things. And they, they believe that they have everybody's best interest in mind and they don't put the corporation first. And I don't necessarily believe that, um, and, you know, because I lived it. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you really want to be involved with managing money, you're going to have to actively learn how to do that yourself, read, take classes, find mentors, I even currently still am involved with a group of guys that uh, we get together once a week and uh, talk about what's going on and talk about the indicators and sort of help guide each other, so to speak. Nice. Well, and, and uh, you really better know how to protect your portfolio and how to get good at it and spend a lot of time on it. Or, or you trust someone like, like your network where you guys do have a plan. You already know what you're going to do if the markets go down. Well, I agree. And, and, I, and sometimes, uh, you know, it, there's, there's, there's a different levels of knowledge, you know, and, and, and you start out as an unconscious incompetent. Uh, that means you don't even know that you don't know. And I think, unfortunately, many investors are unconscious incompetence. I hear young people talk about Bitcoin as if it's a certainty. And, right. and there's been a lot of certainties in my life that are no longer here. I think they just closed uh, Howard Johnson's, the last branch. Uh, people our age remember Howard Johnson. Some of the young people probably don't have the slightest idea what we're talking about. 
But here's a firm that uh, you would never have suspected would disappear uh, 30 years ago, and they're gone. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, 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 you progress along the path, and, you know, after you're an unconscious incompetent, you become a conscious incompetent. Right. Uh, in other words, you know that you don't know everything, and you're striving to know more. And finally, you reach the stage aware that you're you're a conscious competent in other words you got to think about everything all the time and you have to think about uh how things are working and then finally i i i guess someday if you stay at it enough you become an unconscious competent you just are competent without even realizing that you're being competent right. and, and unfortunately i think uh, you've hit on something in that most people don't realize the time it's going to take uh to accumulate the knowledge number one and then to stay current on the knowledge uh, if they truly want to protect their portfolio and provide themselves with us with an approach or strategy uh, that's not going to hurt them yeah well it's a really uh, great message for the investing community uh, do you see any changes coming up in the investing community or is it pretty much the same uh, going is what you've you know as being an unconscious competent well, I, I, I unfortunately don't see a lot of changes because, I mean, even today, 98% of the people, and I, again, I'm guesstimating that number. This is not any research that I've done, but I, I run into people all the time who have advisors. I run into advisors, uh, and, and I hear what they say, and some of them scare me, um, but they essentially... Um, don't really know what they don't know and they just are parroting what someone has told them now again uh, you know when a large mutual fund company says if you hang in there with a portfolio of stocks it should go back up um they've got a little blurb inside that prospectus that says the past is is no guarantee of the future yeah it always has gone up uh, doesn't mean someone who's been a great manager is going to continue to be a great manager uh, especially if they're utilizing the spread it out and hang in their approach. Right. Um, so, so they really shouldn't be saying that because they specifically say that they can't predict that. Yeah, they, they shouldn't be, but they do. And they're marketers and they're business. And just like any business in this country, they're going to say as much as they can say without lying. Right. <laughs> so, so you really need to have some sort of a strategy to protect downside and you really have to spend time at this and not just, trust, you know, write it out, or you hear these words like, you know, not timing the market, but time in the market. And you hear these phrases that they tell you at big wirehouses, but that's really not going to work. Well, and yeah, I, we know that you, you hit on one of my biggest pet peeves. They say it's time in the market. And then they show you studies of what if you miss the 10 best days? Right. Well, anybody that's a scientist knows that if you're going to take out the 10 best days, you better take out the 10 worst days too. And they never do that in their studies. They only show you what if you miss the 10 best days. Well, if they show you missing the 10 best days and the 10 worst days, all of a sudden it creates a whole different picture. And the picture is really not a bad picture. It's a good picture. And, and they don't tell you that most of the best days happen when the market's down. Yes. Or near the worst days. And yes. so they, they, they're, they're, they're telling you the truth. Yes, if you miss the 10 best days, your return is going to go down, but they're not telling you the whole truth. And unfortunately, the average person doesn't even know 
to ask that question. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess I had an inquiring mind uh, as I was uh, uh, going through this business. And I just always felt like there was something else that could help or, or increase the odds of success and kept looking for that, that approach. So I think from what you're saying, it sounds like clients need leadership. They need someone that has the experience who understands this. Now, there are some clients that certainly could do this on their own, but most investors don't want to do all that work. They want to spend time with their grandchildren and travel and do other things. And they'd rather hire someone like you, right? Well, they can't. They got a full-time job. I don't think you can do this and have a full-time job. Right. Uh, I, I've never, I don't think I've met an, an individual investor who was really good at it until they retired and made it a second calling, so to speak. Full time. Yeah, they, they spent hours on it. Um, I spend on a daily basis, two hours poring over research each day that mm -hmm. the market is open. Um, right. and, and I've honed it down to two hours in the beginning. It was more than that because I was sifting through a bunch of information that I, I didn't know wasn't useful. And I didn't have a computer like I did today. Yeah, 10, yeah. 10, 15 years ago to do the same amount of uh, analyzing of the numbers would have taken me uh, extra hours. Today, I, I can, if I want something, I can adjust the computer for what I want and to have it do that work for me instead of physically going through it. And so, you know, we like to work with people that uh, are serious about their future uh, I like to work with people that are close to retirement, um, you know, maybe empty people who are close to being empty nesters that are now focused on themselves and getting themselves and their family to where they want to be uh, mm -hmm. in retirement. And, uh, and, and those people generally have a lot of money. And those people are the people that find it harder to lose a lot. Yeah. If you get $10,000 saved up and you lose 50% and you're 30 years old, it's not the end of the world. It certainly yeah. would be better if you didn't lose it. But if you've got uh, what I call an adult-sized amount of money, uh, and that's where you know you, you maybe have two hundred and fifty or five hundred thousand, or you maybe you've got a million dollars saved up, and and if you lose fifty percent, it's the same number. But it seems to hurt, at least from what I can tell, a lot more if you lose fifty percent of a million than if you lose fifty percent of ten thousand. That's right. And so I think it becomes more important as you get closer to retirement and it becomes extremely important uh, once you get in uh, into retirement to manage the risk. But yeah. at the same time, you've got to get a good return. Hmm. You know, not too many people uh, have enough money where they can earn 1% on their money and have all the money that they're going to need if they live to be 95. Right. They need better returns. They need better returns. Yeah. Like this, better returns. This is a great session. You, you really, uh, you've got a lot of great ideas for investors and you've got a great perspective on how to protect them and uh, how they can manage their affairs. Um, I think uh, everybody who is listening today uh, will be all the benefit for that. And then hopefully uh, many more advisors adopt a strategy like that. So we really appreciate you joining us today on the Financial Advisors Workshop, Mike. Well, I appreciate you having us, Brian. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll check in later on and see how things are going. But uh, we're uh, proud to have a, a, a CNBC celebrity with us today. So. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thank you. All right. Take care, Mike. Bye-bye.
Thank you so much for listening. Again, our biggest goal here is to help you grow your financial advisor practice to 100 million and beyond. So don't forget to download our guide on all the tips, strategies, and tricks I personally use to grow my practice to 100 million and beyond in managed assets by going to fourstarwealth.com forward slash advisors. And if you're a financial advisor looking for more freedom, higher margins, better training, please set up a consultation to discuss joining our team by going to fourstarwealth.com forward slash advisors. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And until the next financial advisor workshop, keep on growing out there, everyone.